The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. The Explorers podcast is sponsored by RM Capital, a provider of specialist, small to mid-cap corporate advisory and boutique wealth management services. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. We're off to far northeast Greenland today, where the ASX-listed Ironbark Zinc has been working away at getting its Citronin Zinc lead project into production. It has been making some serious headway of late, and we have its managing director, Michael Jardine, with us today to give us an update on the progress and what to look out for the company in the months ahead. The company trades under the code IBG, or Indio Bravo Golf, and last traded at 2.3 cents for a market cap of 28 million. Now that's not a lot for a company with a $650 million project on its hands and with the US government's export credit agency, Exum, in the background as a potential source of debt funding to really get things moving along at the project. The resource at the project is nice and big at 49 million tonnes, grading 4.8% zinc and 0.5% lead. And the company has a soundly based 40 to 90 million tonne exploration target for which which would really establish the project as a major supplier of zinc. Obviously, with zinc taking on strategic importance in recent times around the decarbonisation and electrification push. Ready to go, new zinc developments are few and far between, and the market is beginning to worry about where new supply is going to come from to meet the strong demand growth most forecasters see coming for the metal. That's all been reflected in the pricing for zinc, It was last quoted at US $1.35 a pound, which puts it 32% higher than its average for calendar 2020 of US $1.02 a pound. With an expected annual average output of 130,000 tonnes per annum of contained zinc, Citroen is highly leveraged to the metal price movement. So let's jump into it. G'day, Michael. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for your time today. Good afternoon, Barry. Thank you and uh, for having me on the show. All right, Michael. The... um, now, for those who don't know, the company has been around for a while and it has had the project on its books for a while. Uh, I mentioned there that uh, some real progress seems to be being made, but uh, if we could just step back for a second and give people a bit of a snapshot of the project's history. Sure, no problem, Barry. So Ironbark has been listed for about 15 years and has owned this project, uh, 100% of the project, for essentially all of that time. It was first discovered via a government geological survey, passed through the hands of various prospectors, as these things tend to do, uh, and and Dimebark acquired the project in 2007 and 8, effectively. There was a a particular busy first five years um, at the site in terms of exploration, drill out, met test work, um, et cetera, et cetera, that saw really the the original feasibility study finished in 2011. Um, The time since then has been spent wading through the the financing challenges really. And whilst that's been happening, there's been a number of studies done that have greatly increased, I think, the confidence level in in the project and what we have on our hands there. And and that really culminated in, in the 2021 BFS 
that in my opinion is is the most complete assessment of how the project can be developed um, to date. Okay. Now, perhaps the best if you run us through some of the key findings of the, the BFS. Sure, no problem. Um, the Just to, to go back one step, what we do have is a, a very large sedimentary exhalative, so SEDEX, zinc, lead, ore body. Uh, you mentioned some, some numbers in the introduction there. We've actually got... 85 million tonnes in the resource category uh, and the 49 million tonne number that you mentioned is actually our reserve. So we've got oh, there you go. Okay. 2.3 million tonnes of zinc metal in reserve. That upgrade was was done as part of that 2021 um, BFS. But the, the reason why we did that, you know, redid that study really was there was a, a recosting of an, you know, that earlier 2011 study that I mentioned done in, in 2017. But fundamentally the plan that the business was putting in front of the market you know was a decade old um, i took this role on in late 2019 the same week as we, we the chairman changed out as well so our current chairman dr fred hess based in brisbane formerly md of panost we joined in the same week so it was a genuine sort of turnaround team it's relatively rare you'd have a new md and a new chairman join in the same week and we quite quickly came to the conclusion that we needed to fundamentally reevaluate how the project would move forward and it was difficult to see really just changing the name on the spine of the book and taking the same plan to market how that you know, would result in a different outcome so it, this was a fundamental reassessment of how citronin could be moved forward um, certain things had been done to a great level of detail historically you know the geological work for example had been done very well and Einbach was historically run by you know, geologists largely, and they did an outstanding job of drilling out that ore body. Certain things hadn't probably moved with the market in the 10 years. So rocks don't change all that much in 10 years, but technology mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. And we looked a lot at you know, engineering solutions around construction, processing, um, logistics, all those types of things that probably needed, you know, building out as well as you know, taking a, a new view of zinc price, um, you know, for example. So we changed really all of the key inputs and in, in terms of where the outputs landed, we we do have a large project on our hands. As you mentioned, it's a 650 million US dollar build out. That is very large relative to our market cap. And I suppose we'll get to later in this program how we may address you know, the financing challenge. But for that, you get a very, very large zinc mine um, on the cusp of being amongst the 10 largest zinc mines in the world. If it isn't top 10, it's, it's very close to the top 10. We have a 20 year mine life scoped out already. Uh, where we are on the cost curve, sort of in the bottom, in the, the top of the second quartile effectively. So just sort of under the 50% mark um, through the first five or six years of operation and potentially just over that 50% mark for the life of mine. So SEDEX ore bodies play a really important role in the zinc market is where most of the reserves are located and they are typically large, long life, low cost projects. And that is very much how we are positioning Citronin. We'll spin off, you know, one and a half billion dollars post tax free cash over those 20 years. You mentioned the expiration target on top of those resource tons. Now, this is a very large system likely to run for decades. And, you know, we're very excited to be presenting you know, a, a new set of numbers and plan to the market. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I did mention the exploration target, but seeing that you've got more than enough to, uh, for, was it a 15-year initial project, was it? 20 years initially, Barry. So we've, as I said, we've got 85 million tonnes in the resource currently. 50 million of those are in reserve category. The current mine plan pulls 65 million tonnes out of the ground. So we're still inside of our known resource. It, it is very likely, if you look at you know the drilling to date, and we've got some really good cross-sections out there around how open this ore body is really in all directions. The only area that it's cut off is, you know, directly to the north where the fjord is located. So this ore body is right on the edge, you know, of a deep water fjord um, that is seasonally open by, by sea. So, you know, that's a real advantage in terms of transporting. We will convey the concentrate literally from the shed straight into the, the holds of the vessels um, that will service the site. So that is the only part of the ore body that is, that is cut off. It is open everywhere. Uh, we've got three layers of sulfides, you know, that essentially contain the current resource. We have hit mineralization in in the fourth layer below, and it is open laterally, essentially everywhere you look. So I've no doubt in my mind, once this asset has been built out, we are we are you know in a multi-decade mine territory, and certainly as we look forward, where does you know, zinc come from in the future. There are very few of these large ZX deposits that aren't already in the hands of the majors, mm. i.e. already mined out or operating. Um, there's certainly, you know, nothing else on the ASX has this asset for the market cap and potentially a financing solution imminent. So, you know, I genuinely think Citronin will play a role in the zinc market in, in the sort of medium and long term. Okay. I guess to a lot of investors, uh, Greenland as a place uh, for mining is not well known. Uh, what's the, the fiscal regime and the regulatory regime uh, up to scratch as far as you're concerned? Yeah, it's a fair question. And the, it certainly remains unproven in terms of its ability to operate Western scale mining assets. And there's no doubt that part of that discount is built into our market cap. I think you know, in terms of jurisdictional risk, in my opinion, it is very low. It is ultimately part of the Kingdom of Denmark. It is an EU um, OCT, they call it, Overseas Countries and Territories. It is a, a highly stable political environment. The Mining Act is administered by um, the government of Greenland. So when it was, you know, that was one of the devolved powers that it was given by Denmark um, in the past. There are still other elements of Danish legislation that will apply to the project. But, but we have here a, a very stable legislative environment. The country is interesting because it will hold mineral deposits, you know, unquestionably at a very large, there's, there's a number of them already identified. We're all working towards trying to move into construction um, and, and therefore production. You know, all bodies of the size and scale that, again, typically have already been discovered, or you will be taking jurisdictional risk, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhere to, to identify these things. So there are constraints based on infrastructure, in my opinion. That's, that's the part that makes projects in Greenland, you know, more difficult in its favour. It's actually very close to, you know, the major markets being the mm. EU and North America in that part of the world. As, as we look forward and both sort of supply chain security, decarbonising markets and trying to produce metals in a responsible way, being based 
effectively inside of, of EU legislation with respect to all things ESG. I think the country has far more pros than cons and and the, the cons are able to be engineered around um, and we think we know the challenges. So in my mind, the country presents significant opportunities, including mm-hmm. to Ironbuck. Yeah, okay. Well, you'll be part of opening up uh, Greenland to uh, other opportunities, I presume, once you get an operating base there. Correct. I mean, yeah, so, in you know, I think Ironbark is, is the one that can be the proof of concept operations, certainly at scale. So there are other operations there already that are, that are mining, but they're not, they're not large, certainly nothing of, of global significance like, like Citronin could be to the zinc market. If we're able to go in there and, and prove this is possible, I've got no question, Northern Greenland, where we operate, will become a very, very attractive minerals province. And, and that's something I look forward to, to being part of. Right. Now, I think we've covered off that uh, the project is not resource constrained, but uh, that brings us to the question of finance. And I mentioned Exum. What's the role you're hoping they'll play in getting this project uh, into production? Yeah, clearly our largest hurdle barrier, if you look at market cap versus project size, there's a gap there that you know, is, is readily identifiable. So Exum is the US government's, Exum Bank is the US government's official export credit agency. So they are there primarily to, you know, lend money to people, groups, entities that will, will purchase US content, be that goods or services. So, you know, exactly the same as, say, EFIC does here in Australia or, or EKF in Denmark. So we identified... You know, 12 months ago, really, probably more like 12 or 18 months ago, that there was an opportunity to look to North America for finance support. You know, the project is, as I mentioned, relatively close and sort of politically and economically. There are relatively deep and long-standing ties between those two countries. So we've made a, a pretty clear, set a pretty clear strategy in place that says we will attempt to secure conditionally, of course, project debt support as you know we're in open discussions with Exxon um, to cornerstone the debt piece if that comes through you know typically they lend money for long periods of time at, at very competitive rates I'm then in a position to go to the equity markets and feel the equity piece it's always chicken and egg particularly when you're looking at something of this size I think you'll appreciate the the first money is always the hardest to get in I think Exxon Bank are terrifically well suited to what we are doing i mentioned the sort of political and economic ties but there's a very large us content opportunity here as well reflective Mm. again of the fact that the industry in greenland is relatively undeveloped so if we have this same project here in australia the local content sort of competition would be much higher greenland imports certainly all of its manufactured goods really and including you know mining services, for example. So there's, there's a number of reasons why Exxon are interested in what we are doing. Um, we are pleased to have them there. We are working through a process with them now. We have a decision point we believe in this in the sort of fourth quarter of this year. Again, it will be a conditional offer of debt. We're certainly not going to get you know, to a binding stage in that period of time. But that is the thing that I believe will unlock the rest of the financing puzzle and ultimately lead to you know what I hope is a re-rate in the company's share price which has been stubbornly sort of trading at that 25 to $30 million market cap zone um, and, and, again, reflect more the value of the underlying asset. 
Okay. Now, assuming all goes well, what sort of development timeline have you wrapped around the project? It's two and a half years effectively, Barry, from when we begin work on the ground. Now, Greenland is a highly seasonal place, as I'm sure everyone appreciates. Once this project is built, we'll be, we'll be able to move people and, and equipment via air year-round, but anything by sea will need to go in the summer months. The absolute best case we could put forward would be to begin work on site next year with Earthworks um, at Citronium itself, and then we could be working on processing modules and so forth at a different location, most likely in the US. The if we were able to begin next year, you know, there's the 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 three, the three summers, two and a half years would put you know processing commencement towards the back end of 2024. Now, if we spent all of next year trying to close out the financing and we couldn't begin detailed engineering till the end of next year, you could essentially push those timelines back 12 months. But it's it's about two and a half years in terms of calendar terms of actual work to, from you know, day one construction to you know day one processing. Yeah, okay. Now, obviously, um, it's all about the zinc and uh, the project's highly sensitive to the zinc price. I was just wondering what your take on the factors driving the zinc market are. Yeah, interesting metal zinc. So it's commonly, you know, it's the fourth most traded metal in the world or consumed metal in the world. It's struggled for PR relative to the suite of battery metals that, you know, lithium, copper, nickel, cobalt, etc. But it's it's very critical, you know, to industrialization in general and will play a critical role in, in a lower carbon environment in the future. So the, the price... Zinc price you mentioned sort of just over a dollar a pound average last year was impacted no question by the you know COVID lows as were most metals in the first half of the year in particular. You know dollar thirty five a pound spot price today we studied at a dollar thirty a pound so spot price you know our project is worth more than you know, it was when we released those numbers. We have a very long life project as I mentioned, at a minimum of twenty years and, and highly likely to run for longer. That gives us the unique advantage, I believe, of being in the market and producing during multiple price cycles. Right. So if you project forward and in say Citroen will start production in you know, roughly five years, it will be operating you know, well and truly into the middle of, of this century. Uh, and where does the zinc price go then? So that's the leverage opportunity. I think traditional, much, you know, traditionally most zinc goes into steel galvanizing um, and and if again, if we look at sort of what are the opportunities outside of traditional markets, you know, offshore wind turbines will use a substantial amount of zinc. You know, the zinc is the sacrificial metal um, in in the in, you know, in a galvanized steel product, and in an offshore environment, that's really important. You know, you put more zinc than copper into every installed kilowatt of solar PV capacity. So you know, that's again, I think underappreciated. There will be a role, I believe, for zinc to play in, in battery technology. Now, it's unlikely to go into the mobility part of the market. You know, lithium has mm. unique advantages in terms of its energy density or its ability to store energy versus its weight. And clearly, you know, the auto manufacturers are committing substantial capital now to a lithium-based supply chain, and, and that will need to pay itself off. So I think I, I don't see zinc competing there, but I think zinc will compete, no question, in grid scale storage along with a number of other technologies i think there will be multiple winners there 
Mm. And we're seeing zinc being used increasingly in agriculture as well. It's a small part of the market now, but growing much faster than traditional markets. So the zinc price can go sideways for long periods of time, which I think is reflective of the fact that it is a deep and mature metals market with some big you know, participants in both on both sort of supply and demand side. It does intermittently spike much higher. We will be in production through those cycles and I see a you know, substantial amount of uplift in the zinc price over the coming decades, which for an asset like Citrona is, is the length of time we need to consider. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now, you have sort of touched on the, the value uh, proposition here. There's a clear, uh, one thing that is clear is that there is a value gap between the company and uh, some of your ASX peers. Um, now, I've got an idea what you might say here, but I'm just wondering what flags should we be looking out for for that uh, value gap to close and uh, even surpass at some point? Yeah, again, point well made. I think, Barry, you know, the value equation, if you compare the market cap of Ironbark today versus the replacement cost of the zinc metal that we've drilled out only, you simply could not put 50 million tonnes of 5% zinc into reserve for anything like our market cap. Yeah, so we're, we're trading well and truly below replacement costs at this point. There are a number of other ASX, you know, explorer developers that are focusing on zinc. I don't believe, you know, genuinely any of them have ticked as many boxes as Ironbark has to date. So we've mentioned things like resource and reserve. What would it cost to replace the drilling? Um, we've got 100% of this project we have, you know, granted mining lease or exploitation license, as they call it in Greenland, for a period of 30 years, likely be extended, you know, along with the mine life. We have offtake agreements signed with both Glencore and Trafigura. So 70% of, of production is already committed with tier one counterparties. Both of those groups are also equity holders in Ironbark. We have, a, you know, a 2021 completed bankable feasibility study done and we are in a formal project financing process with Exit Bank who have more than enough firepower on their balance sheet. You know, that it's a $120 or $130 billion portfolio effectively that that bank runs. So there are a number of things or advantages there that, you know, I don't believe anyone else has. Now, mm. you know, the share price, uh, I think all junior MDs, you know, are told to say this, but, you know, <laughs> There's a clear value gap. We are undervalued on, on any basis that you would like to, or any metric you would like to you know, run with. How does that change? It's quite clear, I think, at, at the price we are trading at, that the market remains sceptical of our ability to, to raise the money to build this. So that's the thing, I think, Barry, that needs to change. Mm. I think if we make the sort of progress with Exxon Bank that I hope to do, and again, sort of quarter four is when we'll get an idea of you know, quarter four this year as to whether or not Exxon um, would like to be involved. It, you know, that's a relatively binary decision. And I think the share price has, you know, relatively binary outcomes. Given we're trading below replacement value on the metal already, I don't see a whole lot of downside. I think you know, the peer comps are, are obvious to anyone that wants to go looking for them as to where this could go if we de-risk the financing. Um, I think there are multiples of the current price 
um, available to shareholders if things go well. Clearly, there's no guarantee they will, and um, that remains to be seen. So, I, I see much more upside than downside. Is you know probably the summary, and I think financing is the thing that has the ability to unlock that barrier. Okay, folks, there we go. A company with a uh, trailblazing project of scale, getting to the pointy end of securing finance, which uh, when done will bring the spotlight to the value proposition it, uh, it's bringing forward. So with that, Michael, thanks for your time today. Very interesting story. Uh, good luck with it all and we'll be following with interest. Thank you very much, Barry. Appreciate the chance to talk about best. This episode of the Explorers podcast was sponsored by RM Corporate Finance, an active participant in emerging companies around the globe.